Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
always different. Every time you work with a new pianist, it's different. It don't matter who it is. And, and she has just been so kind and gracious and easygoing, and thank you so much for your kind spirit. Um, the next few songs, we, we require all the participation from the congregation. Okay, so beautiful one. Will you guys stand as we sing? Wonderful, so wonderful is your unfailing love.
your guitarist with you tonight. Thank you as well. Y'all are an awfully good looking bunch. Some of you. Some of you. Yeah, well. James chapter 5. 
James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, the fervency that meets needs. The fervency that meets needs. Now, I am fully aware on this evening that apparently some people are playing a football game and some people are watching a football game. But those of you that decided to forego the football game and come out to church tonight, I want next Sunday for you to look at all of those who decided to stay home and watch the football game and say, ha, 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 Brother Jason gave us a gift just for coming to church on Super Bowl Sunday evening. And don't tell them what that gift is. But I'm going to tell you what that gift is, is that this sermon is a full page shorter than the average sermon that I preach. So, there you go. You should be excited. It's a full page shorter than the average sermon that I preach. I just typed it in a smaller font so it would all fit, but that's not important. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. This evening we come uh, to our last, we're in our last three messages from the book of James. We have this one and two more from the book of James. And I have enjoyed preaching through the book of James uh, on Sunday evenings, we have been challenged uh, on so many fronts as we've journeyed through this letter. Tonight should be no different. Tonight we come to a text uh, that has been used in many applications. Uh, and I'm not saying that incorrectly used in other applications, but tonight uh, I want us to really look at the context of this letter because I've read uh, many commentaries about these verses. I've even uh, heard references to these verses, and they never really sat uh, perfectly with me in light of the context of this letter. And so uh, we're going to look at the entire context of the letter as it applies to these verses, uh, and hopefully we'll see the purpose that James had under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he pins these verses near the end of his epistle uh, that is titled by his name. So please, if you are able, stand for the reading of the Holy Word of God from the book of James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this evening. We again petition that everything that we say and do this evening would bring glory to you. God, that if there be any spirit, any thought that holds us captive right now, you would escort it out the door that it came in. And allow nothing but your Holy Spirit to dwell among us this evening. God, we pray that you'd bless the reading. 
and the teaching of your word, that if I were about to say anything in error, you would mute my mouth. Because I am keenly aware that we need a message from you. So God, we promise that we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in your precious name we pray, as all God's children said. And you may be seated. And so as we dive into this text, let us think of the context in which James is writing this entire letter. We established way back in James chapter 1, I know some of you won't remember, it's been a minute, but all the way back in James chapter 1, we established who he was writing this letter to. Uh, He was writing this letter to the Jewish Christians who had been scattered abroad due to persecution. He kept calling them his brethren. They were his kin. They were the people that would identify themselves as Christians. They were practicing the faith, and they were his kindred. And as they had been scattered abroad, simply because of their faith, they had been pushed, pushed about, pushed around, and they were met with hostility, and they were troubled, and they were persecuted. And James pins this letter to them as a reminder and as an encouragement to them and a challenge to them that they should be living their faith. Throughout this entire letter, James' tone and tenor has been to challenge us that we would examine ourselves in light of all of these things. And he always asks us this question. Are you living your life in this way? And if you are not, why not? Are you living your life according to your faith? And if you are not, why not? And that's really the tone that he sets with this entire letter. But throughout it, he's called us to endure many things. He endured us, called us to endure persecution and troubles and trials. He called us to endure it with faith that would show through that we belong to Christ. We've said numerous times that when he talks about our tongue, we say our speech will reflect whose we are. Are we a child of God or are we a child of the world? The way that we endure our trials will show whose we are. Are we a faithful child of God or are we a son of the world? Will we handle each other with love and respect and decency or will we slander and spit venom at one another because that's also going to show who we belong to. Are we a child of the king or are we a son or daughter of the world? Here in chapter 5, James continues that. In verses 7 through 11, he calls us to be patient. Enduring these things with determination, and he compares us to a farmer that would look to his crops. He would do his work. He would sow his seeds, and then he would wait on the rains and for the fruit to be yielded. And so all that is a backdrop that James has been putting through in this entire epistle. We come to verse 13, and James asks this question to begin verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Really, James? You have to ask that question when you look at the entire letter that you've written? It's painfully obvious that we're suffering. Well, it's painfully obvious that there must be suffering. And so this has been his theme. And he writes these three little words. Is anyone among you suffering? And then he says what? Let him. Now let's do it all together. Let him pray. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. And so my, 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 my insert is this. I believe that this verses 13 through 18. 
I believe the theme that James is looking for in these verses is a theme of prayer. It is a focus on prayer. Now, many have presented it uh, as, as a focus on healing. Many have presented it as a focus on many other things. But I believe in the, in the context of the entire letter, James is calling us to a focus on prayer. Now, honestly, it would be a shocker theologically if James had written this entire letter about suffering and about endurance and about persecution, and he had not written about prayer. But in honesty, this is really the first place that he focuses on the subject of prayer. And we see it at the end. It's kind of a, a parting direction, you might say, uh, as James is finishing this letter. It's kind of a, kind of a last thing. And I think that's kind of fitting that he would call our attention and say, these, these instructions, this is what's really going to carry you through. Here's, here's the troubled and the persecuted, and, and at the heart of your endurance, at the heart of you being able to do these things that I've called you to do, there is going to be a strong prayer life. There is going to have to be a focus on prayer and a desire to pray and, and learning how to pray and a consistency to pray and a fervency in your prayer if you're going to do all of these things that I've already written in this letter this is going to have to happen you're going to have to have this prayer life if we're going to be an enduring people we're going to be a praying people and so many people have talked about these verses and and, and called it to physical sickness and I, I suppose that you could relate these to a physical sickness but I believe really that James is calling us to look to a spiritual sickness, a spiritual suffering, a spiritual uh, downtrodden time, because really the whole letter deals with spiritual matters, spiritual temptations, spiritual examinations. And so it's really unlikely that right here at the end, randomly these verses would change directions and start talking about physical ailments. It really wouldn't be in sync with the rest of the book. We have to try to make that fit. But with that in mind, we look at that first verse and the first thing that he says about prayer, and it's really that he's pointing to a prayer of comfort. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And the word for suffering here that we see used in the Scripture is a word that is typically referring to an evil treatment, an evil treatment, persecution. So essentially he's saying, is anyone among you persecuted? Let him pray. Let him turn to God for comfort. Peter would say it this way, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Jonah might say, once I was fainting away and I remembered the Lord and he came to me. The old hymn writer would probably say it this way, oh, what peace we often forfeit and oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not care. Everything to God in prayer. If you're suffering, if you're persecuted, pray. Now, why would James write this? Well, because he knew that the people he was writing to, they were being heavily persecuted. They were being scattered. They were being challenged for their Christianity. They were being asked to denounce it. They were being pushed into huddles and meeting on roofs and meeting in the back rooms and not allowed to have a public church setting like this without having influence come around. And he said, because of this persecution, you need to pray. Pray for your comfort. And then he goes on and he almost uh, looks at the exact inverse. He said, is anyone among you cheerful? Well, let him sing psalms. Let him sing praises. 
Now, this word cheerful here best translates, and this is why I say that I'm sure he's talking about a spiritual suffering. This word directly translates well in the spirit. Well in the spirit. Is anybody among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anybody among you well in your spirit? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone there able to say, it is well with my soul? If that is what you can say in response to this situation, then you should sing psalms of praise. Sing the praises to God. Because He has given you that comfort. Verse 14, though, we begin to look at another idea. We see this prayer of of what I believe is a prayer of restoration. And now it says, is anyone among you sick? And almost every translation of the Bible that is out there uses that word sick. And I'm not saying it's a a bad translation. It's it's probably the most direct word-to-word translation. But do you know that most places in the New Testament, when this word is translated, it means weak or feeble. Now tell me what I mean, and you can can look it up and and check me if you want to write these down or get them from me afterwards. Romans 4.19, Romans 14.1, Romans 14.21... It is used to describe those who are weak in the faith. This same word that is used for sick here. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 11, and 12. Romans 5 and 6. It refers to the impotence of the weak and the weakness of those who are unsaved. So in those instances and all throughout other places in the New Testament, given that that word is not translated as sick in those areas. It's translated as weak or unsaved or weak in faith. And so given that, knowing that the Bible is the best way for us to study the Bible, how do you look and see what something means in the Bible? Well, look elsewhere in the Bible because God does not contradict himself. The Scripture does not contradict itself. If you see something in Scripture and you go, huh, I thought this meant that, you know the best place to go is probably not a commentary. The best place to go is to other places in Scripture because if you look at it in its entirety, it's always going to make perfect sense. And so given that knowledge, we can look at this and say that this this verse, in my opinion, could be best understood as anyone among you weak downtrodden or weak in faith. And so if you look at verse 13, if you're suffering, pray a prayer of comfort. But if anyone among you has gotten to the point that you are so spiritually or emotionally or mentally weak, if you feel that spiritually you are defeated, not just just downtrodden, you are at a point where you on your last Leg, you don't know where to go spiritually, you're broken. Call upon the elders. That word for elders is referring to the pastors and the leadership of the church. Call upon those who have been set in place to shepherd you. Those who have been set apart by God to shepherd you. Why? Because these are the leaders of the church and they need to be spiritually strong for you when you're in that place. Why? That's one of their qualifications from the text, that they are to be apt to teach of sound nature. And so you should go to them because when you are broken and down to your last leg, that's who you should call upon is those who would pray for you. So, if, so, so essentially what James is saying, listen, if you're suffering, pray. 
Pray for comfort yourself. But if you are so broken, if you are so down that you don't feel like you can pray anymore, go to the elders of the church and ask them to pray for you. If you're not sure you can get anything out, you don't know how to pray or what to pray, guess what? That's okay. That's one of the the beauties of being in a New Testament church. Being in a body of believers is being able to have those in the church for you to call on. We are not to meant to, to, to waffle about and be on our own. I'm not saying that there are not people who are not involved in a church that, that, are not, that, are, that they're not saved if they don't go to church. I'm not saying that. I know we all know somebody who's been out there, who's, who's studying the Word and accepted Christ and is just as saved as anybody in here. But what I am saying is that the tone and the tenor of the Bible suggests that we're supposed to be plugged into a church because if we're not plugged into a church, how can we do the things that Scripture commands us to do? How can we pray for one another? How can we lift one another up? If we're not plugged into a church, how can we call upon the leadership of the church to be there when we don't know where else to turn? And we're supposed to do these things. That's what we're supposed to do. I want to touch real quick on that last little part. Because I have been questioned. Not here, bless God. But in the past about this. And it says, what's the elder to do? Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Can I just say something real quick? I don't believe that there is in any, any healing power in oil. I don't believe there's any healing power in oil, but I do believe there's healing power in the Scripture. And I do believe in following Scripture. And if someone comes to me in a broken state, I will gladly anoint their head with oil and pray over them because God's Word tells me to. Not because I believe that that oil is magic ointment. I don't have magic ointment. Can I... Confess, it's olive oil. It's olive oil. I cook noodles with it. <laughs> Can I tell you something else about that word for anointing? It don't mean to put a dot on somebody's forehead. God's word commands the elders of the church to massage the oil into the hand and pray over that person. Again, I don't believe the oil has any healing power, but I believe my God does. And I believe when he says in his word that that's what we're supposed to do, that's what we're supposed to do. So when you're broken and you don't know where else to go and you reach that place where you don't know which way to turn, what are you supposed to do? Come to the elders of the church because God placed them in your life for that reason. That's why they're here. That's why I'm here. I will gladly pray with any of you any time of day or night. Can I point something else out real quick? The sermon's getting longer, I'm sorry. Acts 6.4 says, this is when the, the deacons are put into place in the church, and he tells them to call men of the church into action that they would tend to matters so that the pastors could focus on the prayer and the preaching. The prayer and the preaching. And somehow in our churches today, we have become heavy on the preacher being responsible for everything but prayer and preaching. Praise God for you, Rocky Valley. You allow me 
to preach the Word of God. You've never limited me on that in any way. But somehow or another, this is not a church thing. It's more a pastor thing, and I'm just kind of fussing about my constituents a little bit. Somehow or another, we've decided that we're CEOs and, and, and that our responsibilities are to do everything but pray and preach. And somewhere along the way, uh, we've decided we're supposed to preach the Word with some eloquence and we're supposed to counsel with perfection, and we're supposed to run the church like it's a business. Can I just tell you something? My job is to feed you the Word of God and to pray for you. That's what I'm here for. That's why I'm here. How can I counsel you? Because I pray for you. If I don't pray for you, I can't counsel you. I'm sorry. If I don't love you enough to think of you before you tell me you need me, then I'm not your pastor. And somehow or another, we have missed that whole ministry in our churches today. We have gotten so spiritually weak. And then we look around in our churches and we say, why are we so anemic? Why don't we have the power of God anymore? Why don't we have those prayer services that that we used to have? Well, it's because we don't pray. And we wait until some magic service to pray Oh, we're going to have a special called prayer service the fifth Wednesday of the third month of the fifth year. And God is going to anoint us in that moment. Why don't we pray every single day? Because it's how we talk to the Lord. And let's see if He don't just set loose on us every moment. So next we see a prayer in fellowship. Verse 16. James gives us a a suggestion in verse 16. He says what? Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He gives us this suggestion that perhaps if we would confess to one another and we would pray for one another, that maybe we wouldn't get defeated to the point that we have to go to the elder as spiritually broken. We should have a prayer of fellowship. We should be able to lean on one another, confess our sins to one another. When is the last time, when's the last time, let's just be honest, that a church member went to another church member and said, I'm struggling in sin, I need you to pray for me. It don't happen much anymore, does it? Why? Because we're afraid if we go tell somebody that we're struggling in sin and we want you to pray for us that you might think less of us. If you think less of them for coming and asking you to pray for you for them in their sin, then you need to ask them to pray for your sin. We should be a praying church. We should confess these things one to another. When we're struggling, we should go to one another. We should make this part of our normal fellowship. We're really good at eating dinners in the Baptist church. We eat dinners like nobody's business. You know what we ought to be known for? Praying. That's what we ought to be known for. What's that church over at Rocky Valley? What did they start doing different that made something different? Was it when they hired that good-looking song man? No. It was when they started praying for one another. What happened over there at that church on East Old Murfreesboro Road that suddenly they started reaching the lost like nobody's business? Was it because that good-looking preacher started preaching harder? No, it's because the people inside there started praying harder. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. What are we looking to avail? Each other's burdens, each other's cares, each other's sin, and the sin of those outside these walls. That we might show them the gospel, the good news we talked about this morning of Jesus Christ. A prayer in fellowship. And then James gives us an incredible example. 
says Elijah, a man that had a nature like ours. This is where he says, make sure you understand, Elijah, while he did great things, was just a man. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Think about that. Elijah was just a man. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He hurt. He cried. He was tempted. He was tried. He was chased around the world for being a Christian. He was pushed aside. All those things that we have, all the shame that we are shamed for being Christians from time to time, Elijah felt every one of them. But what did he do? He sat down and prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain. And then he prayed again that the heavens would give rain. Somebody tell me what happened. It rained. Now let that sink in for a minute. He prayed that it quit raining. Quit raining. He prayed that it start raining. It started raining. And I, my friends... I am just silly enough to believe that my God in 2018 is the same God that heard the prayer of Elijah. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that he's still powerful enough to hear the prayers of his children. And I am just faithful enough to believe that the fervent prayer of the righteous will avail much. We're fervent about a lot of things, aren't we? I would guess that in this great country tonight, there are millions of people fervently rooting for or against a football team. I would guess on any Saturday in the fall, there are millions of football fans fervently rooting on a bunch of kids playing a sport. What if we decided to get fervent about something that makes a difference? What if we decided to get fervent about each other, but even more about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think about when Peter sat in his jail cell waiting on execution. It's in Acts, and it says that the church was praying for him. He was waiting execution and the church was praying and the chains fell off and he walked right out of prison. He just walked right out of prison. He showed up at the front door of the church. The church was inside praying so hard that when he knocked on the door, they were startled and they opened the door and there was their answered prayer. Their man had been delivered. Same God that we serve today. So my challenge is this. Let's get fervent in prayer about something that makes a difference and stand back in awe of what God does in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you this evening. And God, we have to confess that we far too often put limits on your capabilities. God, we think of what we're incapable of and decide, quite frankly, that you're incapable as well. God, we confess that sin to you and we stand realizing that you are quite capable. That you give us more than we ever asked for. And that you are faithful to hear our prayers. And so God, as a body here this very evening, I beg of you. Would you convict our hearts? Prick our souls. 
that we would be a people fervent in prayer for one another and for the spreading of your gospel and that our focus would be so laser sharp, so laser sharp, that we would not forfeit the peace that is offered by taking it to you in prayer. God, we love you. We will praise you for all you do. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.